Hello listeners, and welcome to Happy Thursday. Do you know what time it is? Yes, it's that time, and we're back with another episode of The Best Minutes Podcast, where each week, the Movies by Minute hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives. One minute of screen time per episode. And before I, you know, bring you over to the, the greatest guy of all time, the podcast master, the man they name podcast after, Jim O'Kane, I will say, welcome to Night Drive with me, your host, Ethan McKinley. Yeah, I feel like we're at a golf tournament. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ethan, another great day with uh in in Butch's place. This is this is the kind of level of talk you'd want to do at uh, at Butch's place. I think you just. Uh... I always try to do a like a late night uh, radio DJ voice, like an yes. old rock DJ. I did the nineteen thirties <laughs> BBC World Service cover episodes back. I was trying to be clever, you know. Yes. Come on, no, work perfect, with me, listeners. Perfect modulation. Yes. Uh, so we're but... back at the piano. Yeah, we're back at the piano with uh, the great Hoagie Carmichael, um, and he's. The funny thing is, he's he's playing a song that he helped write. Well, he was he was one of the writers. He uh, he added the words. Uh, this "Up a Lazy River," which is mm. a, a jazz standard. It's um, it, it's funny that the guy that actually wrote it, the guy that wrote the music, uh, is a he was a clarinet player named Sidney Aridan, and uh, although he wrote it, he never recorded the tune himself. Oh, so he now uh, why is that? Is it is that like when a songwriter submits a song to like Katy Perry or Lady Gaga and they get all the credit for singing? You think, oh, they've written that song, and there's like a, an army of songwriters behind that particular famous actor or sorry singer. Well, sorry. Well, from what I understand, he 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 wrote it uh, sometime sometime in the 30s and right. he uh he played he played in louis prima's band but in 1941 he became seriously ill i don't know what the illness was but he could only make occasional appearances he's very weak and uh he, Meaning uh, he couldn't sing basically or perform yeah he couldn't yeah. perform he couldn't basically he couldn't play, play the song that he wrote um but it was based on a common jazz progression if you look at the uh the sheet music for lazy river yes. it's it's a d chord he's, he's playing a d chord with a uh, with an E minor uh, or E flat, and so he plays that, and then he goes back to a let's see, he, he goes back to a C, and so he's just going up. He goes through the D scale, and then he goes through a C scale. I forgot so, you can play the piano. I was like, Jim knows a lot about pianos. What's going on? Yeah, no, <laughs> but it's it's the way he it, you know he he learned he he did this as a progression where you play a D, you play a D, and then you play the E minor uh, or the E flat. And then you play it at the C, and that's pretty much how Lazy River the song goes. You're playing in the D, playing in the D, then you go play in the C. He he used that finger exercise as the basis of the song, and then uh, Carmichael came along and added uh, "Up a Lazy River" by the Old Mill Stream, that mm. lazy lazy river in the noonday sun. Uh, anyway, it's it's just a very calm, peaceful song when you when you read it. It's very sim- very simple, very nice and easy song, and it's funny how. Hoagie Carmichael puts this underneath some tough talk he's about to have with Homer. I mean, it's, yeah. the, the, the music is easygoing, but he's got to have a talk with his nephew about, um, you know, walking away from, from the family and scaring yeah. them. That uh, that call, obviously, that he got while, uh, while he got pulled away. That You know, Hoagie was talking to his sister, going, oh, yeah, where's Homer? I don't know where. And he's down here. Don't worry about it. He's with friends. Everything will be fine. So, <laughs> See, Hoagie actually wanted to play uh, the... Mantalakra, a master of puppets, but uh, I think William Wilder was like, "No, no, you're talking to your, you know, shell shocked nephew. 
about why he's running away from home. That probably is not uh, appropriate, Hoagie. He's like, okay, I'll just do a lazy river then. Does it, yeah, just, just play that. Yes. <laughs> so, well. uh, you, I think we spoke about or touched on it briefly that uh, obviously Hoagie would be a, a real life hero to Harold Russell. It's uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting. It's like it's like it's like saying, oh, by the way, we're gonna have we're gonna have a guy. He's your uncle, and he plays the piano. Oh, and it's Elton John. Yeah. So, <laughs> really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's... yeah, him keeping it together amidst all these gigantic stars and acting. And he's done. I think with, he did. He started off doing a, a a what is it? A public information film or about the uh, the navy or the army, right? Yeah, I, and I mean, God, that was his that, acting experience. Yeah, yeah, and he. And like the year before this, the the year before this, he when he got out of the hospital, uh, he met a woman who had been previously married and had a kid or two kids, and he married her. And you know, it's like okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get into the movies and I'm gonna get married and I've got a whole new you know instant family. And yeah. uh, was and that now, the done thing back then? Because I th- uh, remarrying with children, not for the woman, because obviously. That not, would be a, a name of yours, but for a man to marry a woman who already had children, was that a thing frowned upon at the uh, time? I well, I mean, there's, I, I, I don't think it was like the most. It, it was the most common thing. Yeah, the, the idea of you know divorce or anything. I mean, of course, I don't know. I don't know the circumstances of her husband. You know, her husband could have died in the war. Good point. So yes. it, she could be a widow, but uh, he had been. She'd been previously married, and the kids got along with him very good, and he just. He's such an easygoing guy. You can tell yeah. this is him in real life. He's like, oh, this is okay. And he probably faced a lot of the things that that go on in this movie, yeah. but probably <clears throat> the year before, maybe two years before. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I guess, well, we. I mean, that would be one of the reasons he was cast as well. But I, again, as an actor, I can't get my head around. You've done essentially a corporate video to use the modern vernacular or parlance. And then they stick you in a gigantic film with Tom Cruise, Russell Crowe, you know, insert yeah, yes. movies, Julia Roberts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, like, oh, and, you know, every, and every other page, you've got lines. <laughs> yeah, and it's a three-hour movie, so you've got a lot of lines. And, uh, yeah. and it's William, oh, God, Samuel Goldwyn was trying to have him sneaky acting lessons, which obviously, you know, William Wyler scolded him for, Samuel yeah. Goldwyn, that is. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, they and, just shove and, him onto a. I still, my, this makes my head spin. They just shove him onto a set and go, "Here, have at it. Go into your scene with Tom Cruise and Elton John." Yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah, so, and it's like, and and it better be good. Because and winning an Oscar. Oscar! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they gave they gave him what was basically a pity Oscar. It's like, well, he's never going to win Best Supporting, and and he gets Best Supporting on top of it. You know, it's like they were going to give him a, just a, a participation. You'd imagine trophy. behind the scenes at the Oscars, even then, because I know we had that problem a couple of years ago with Moonlight, and then it was like, oh no, what was the first thing that won the one? Actually, no, the the envelope's wrong, and it's this, it's it's Moonlight, I think. Yeah, you'd think they'd confer behind the scenes, even back then. The Oscars, like, by the way. We're going to give him this thing. All the votes have come in. We don't need to give him that, uh, you know, sympathy Oscar, as Jim called it. I don't know. <laughs> All the guys, I'll give it to him anyway. He's he's got hooks for hands. I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, it's just yeah. It, it's uh, I mean, I don't know what Price Waterhouse thought at the time, but it's just you know, it, it's it's am- He's just amazing. And the the, the idea yeah. that Weiler talked him out of a movie career. He could have been. He <laughs> I was going to say I, they just threw him away. There, it's like, well done. You've won all the Oscars. Instead of coasting on that upward trajectory and go, he could do a Twilight Zone, he could do this, he could do that, we could put him in anything, like we could include the hooks or it's just something. Yeah, I, it, yeah. In... yeah, I mean, you could have him sitting at a desk and put, you know, you could put regular hands <laughs> on him 
or have somebody else play his hands or, you know, whatever you want. William Wallace goes, yeah, thanks. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here's your, your $6,000. Everybody else is getting $80,000. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It just, he got, I mean, he had a, he, well, he had a pretty good life. He had, you know, he was head of the disabled American vet. Yeah. It was a pretty good organization. Oh, um, me saying all this stuff. I mean, I'm not taking this away from his achievements. No, no, no. I'm no, marveling it, at like how he, one held it together. <laughs> And d- d- achieved all this stuff, and they went, "Oh no, we're fine, thanks." I think the burden of proof here is probably on William Wylie. Like, what are you doing? Like, everyone loved him. He won all yeah. this stuff. Capitalize. Yeah. All the agents, I, mean, I imagine, would have been falling over themselves to sign him up to their agencies. Yeah, you know, I mean, you think about like Lionel Barrymore played the last ten years of his life in a wheelchair, <laughs> and he still had jobs. You know, he was the bad guy in uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. And yeah, he played it out of a wheelchair because he needed to be in a wheelchair. He had arthritis really bad, so it was yeah. just like. Why couldn't a guy without hands get a job in in this thing? He could have been in comedies. He could have been in a bunch of stuff. Christopher Reeve carried on to the yeah. very end, no less, doing small TV roles and things. And then I think he did a uh, the remake of Rear Window and all this stuff. And he could basically move his lips. Yeah. If he can yeah. do it, Howard yeah. Russell certainly could. William Wyler, how yeah. dare you? <laughs> Gosh, he had. I mean, you got you got to admit that uh, Russell's got stage presence. He's so. You get pulled right into him, and mm. uh, although, although he is now, this is another one of those situations where we're looking at Greg Toland doing the cinematography, mm. and and Toland, his whole Toland's theory is that your eye is usually drawn to motion, but the but the next place that it's drawn to is light, and then the upper right hand side of the screen, and Homer is right there at the upper right hand side of the screen. He is yeah. the dominant position in this in in this uh, setting. Now, is that a theory? Because you've mentioned this before, but I'd never called you up on it. Like, what was Tolan's it, theory behind it? Was it his personal Tol- theory or something to do to- with the right to- brain, how the eyes work and the left Tol- side, right side of the brain? Tolan believes that your eyes are always... He said that I think it was blamed on reading, at least in Western culture, that you go left to right. So yes, your and eye, if you're in the Middle East, it goes right to left, I think, right? If it's yeah, Arabic and, or Aramaic yeah. or something. And and yeah. so you so the tendency is your eyes scan left to right. At least you've been trained in the Western world to scan right. left to right. So your eyes always drawn to the right. So if something's already the right hand side of the screen, that's your carriage return. That's where you know I have to go to the upper right hand side to look at things because my eye is being told to look to the right. Mm. And there's you know there's Homer. Um, and I think he died I, a couple I, of years after this, didn't he? I think it says he died in 1948. So that's two years after this, I think. Wait, who? Craig Tolan, sorry, passed away in nineteen forty eight, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing too well at the <laughs> at the time they were making this. Um Sounds and... a bit like Jordan Cronenworth who photographed Blade Runner and on the set of Alien Three he couldn't kind of do the job as such. Uh and then Alex Thompson came on not I think to replace him. But he had uh, on-set Parkinson's, basically. And, uh, yeah, I think his son Jeff Cronenworth now photographs all David Fincher's films. And the reason I'm going down this road, because uh, Jeff Cronenworth, son of Jordan Cronenworth, who had a kind of similar situation, passed away shortly after, I think, Alien 3, sadly. His son works with Fincher, and Fincher just did Mank, which is about Citizen Kane, and they're trying to recreate... uh, the Greg Tolan style for that film Mank on Netflix, which I've not seen with Gary Oldman. Boom. We brought it back. <laughs> wow. Well, um, Tolan died of he died in his sleep of yeah. uh, you know heart attack, but uh, everybody back then was all you know smoking like chimneys and uh, <laughs> and e- eating bacon raw out of a box. So it, you know, it. It, it's uh, and he's forty four years old. So it's just, 
<laughs> he was not, not not that meant for this world. But you know, Hoagie kind of went the other way. I think he lived to be ninety. He yeah. lived into the he lived into the nineteen eighties. I remember seeing him on when he was growing up as a kid, seeing him on TV every once in a while. I was like, oh, it's Hoagie Carmine. And he, you know, and he would bang out a song on the you know, on the on the Ivories of like it was nobody's business. I mean, mm. he's done every everything from. Uh, uh, gosh, he was on the Ed Sullivan show to uh, the Flintstones. He was even an animated version of him uh, in the Flintstones. So uh, remarkably, yeah. as well, I'm looking at an old picture of him in his later years. It still looks like him. I think sometimes when people age, you, they kind of like, is that the same person? Like the yeah. eyes kind of droop around the eyes and things. You lose the sparkle in the eye, but he seems very uh, looks pretty much like slightly aged, but like still very much looks like himself. He's still got the uh, the sparkle there and the fire. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's kind—he of, was kind of a bony guy originally. I mean, that, that yeah. rather hawk-like head. And, well, I think uh, the high cheekbones, is all that kind of understructure and scaffolding to hang your features on, is always obviously a bonus. I think uh, people with cheekbones, men and women, tend to uh, have a better, fare better as they get older. I think because the uh, the underpinnings to hang all that meat on is uh, obviously yeah. helpful. Yeah, yeah, it's, it de- definitely has a higher starting point. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, just just fantastic. Uh, and and he can act too. I mean, playing the piano and acting. He just came across as a very amenable guy, rather avuncular. Mm. Um, he, you could believe that he's he's known Homer all of his life. And uh, how did he and, make the transition? Uh, I think because he was was he, just, was he 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 was on a bunch of radio shows. I know he, he had okay. his, and he had, of course he had his own orchestra. So being able to find out that he could act too, I, I think they would you know they would put him in other shows, lots of musicals. He would, yeah. he would be in. And be the band leader or the you know the guy doing a performance. He was a lot on radio. He was on Lux, uh, the uh, the Lux show, which is um, uh, they 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 had W. C. Fields, Charlie McCarthy. He would be able to read you know he'd be able to read scripts and do banter with uh, comedians, Jack Benny, things like that. Mm. So he was a frequent familiar guest. So seeing him up on a big screen, no no big shakes for the audience because yeah. it's like, oh yeah, it's Hoagie Harmon transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, funny uh, as well because they still use his music even today. I think uh, Penny Dreadful, City of Angels, from 2020, uh, Stardust. I mean, he wrote that, of course, but there's yeah. a ton of uh, what we got, uh, Austin City Limits, Captive State. All this stuff is last year, Star is Born. Uh, his songs are still in movies and TV today as we speak, and there's the stuff in pre-production featuring his music <laughs> oh yeah yeah no i yeah. mean you think of things like heart i mean every kid every kid in the world knows how to play heart and soul mm. and uh, uh it's you know it, it old buttermilk sky that kind of stuff it's um it, it's it's everywhere you know it's um yeah. bates motel who's another one it's just like oh i recognize all these uh, projects it's like they're still using his stuff it's crazy yeah, yeah, but I think I, yeah, other I think other than chopsticks, which he plays in this later on, uh, <laughs> other than say, chopsticks, that'd be more I, appropriate if Homer's going to join him. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a bit yeah. dark, but, but yes. I, I, yeah, yeah. I think other than other than chopsticks, I think heart and soul is uh, is the uh, you know every, every everybody you will eventually find somebody playing heart and soul on a piano somewhere in a you know that that's the, that's the song to know that you know. Mm. So you have him to blame, I guess. Um, Do you have this in America, Jim? We have it here in train stations and bus stations and like, uh, I guess, mini shopping malls here and there. Someone just, there's like an upright piano just there and just anyone that, can just yeah, get on it and play it and stuff. That, I noticed that occurs in uh, artsier towns like Portland and yeah. Austin and Nashville. Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be an old like a, and it's been painted with latex house paint or something, maybe bright <laughs> green. 
it probably doesn't get you know, tuned either. Or do, does it? Is there an organization I, I, perhaps I, behind I, to alert awareness to something? Is it part of a charity or this yeah, or that? I, I'm not sure. It's always yeah. it's always interesting to see, you know. But they're always in various states of disrepair or repair, yeah. and, and they roll, you know, they'll roll it out onto the sidewalk, and somebody will stop by and start tuning up on on it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 great hearing hearing music out outside outdoors. Uh, you know. I wonder if it was it's a it's a modern thing or it's kind of they they had maybe stuff like this back then in the 40s because obviously it was a more musical time i mean you've got big stars like hoagie did both you've got you're going into like the late 40s early 50s gene kelly all these kind of like great musicals and things and things it's uh be interesting to see if uh, that piano phenomena uh was perhaps around then even i'm sure it would be in somewhere but maybe not as prevalent but uh, it would be nice to think it would be anyway yeah i mean i, th- I think gosh and Carmichael is one of those guys that people don't realize they know a lot of his songs. Yeah. Um, like, you know, uh, Georgia on my mind, that's Hoagie Carmichael. Yeah. And, and it's just, you know, it's like, he wrote that he wrote, you know, it, it's now is that, uh, is that from back then? Did he perform it or was it just one of his songs he sold when he was trying to make some money in like, is it the sixties uh, or seventies when Ray Charles did it? Was it fifties? Ray Charles did it in the uh, late fifties, I believe. Right. And, but, but Georgia on my mind was written in 1930. Yeah. So, um, but he yeah. kind of Ray Charles made it pop and become a cultural phenomenon, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think he be, he became the iconic sound of that. But you know, you think of of music like Stardust. Everybody's done Stardust. Yeah. Judy Garland, Bing Crosby. Uh, you know, there's, it's it's the ultimate tune. I mean, this is this is one of those things that if you want to if you want to point to uh, what they call the American Songbook, I think the first the first page would be Stardust. It, it's such yes. a it's such a standard and. Um, you know the lyrics are are so effusive, and when you hear that song, you want to you know you want you want to be in a relationship with somebody. It's so it's very you know it it it's very it, it really pulls you in. And he you know and Carmichael knew how to how to write these things, and mm. it, and yet when you watch him in here, when you watch him on 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 this, he's a very unassuming fellow. Yes, just, and I, I think this when we're seeing him playing Butch, from what I've seen of of. Uh, interviews with him he's rather introspective he doesn't really show off he enjoys being part of a group but i think he's kind of uh taciturn i think he he just he likes thinking about things and, and expressing himself through his music well it's good for screen isn't it you think cause he's a musical performer he'd be like very big and like ah but he's kind of very uh what screen acting should be really almost uh playing it down almost to zero and doing nothing and then but on screen it looks obviously great but if you know I think he's very adept at uh, screen acting remarkably because you'd think, as I said, he'd be kind of like <laughs> gigantic in his yeah, kind and, of, yeah. And everybody, everybody in this movie is likable, but I think the two characters we get in this particular minute, Homer and Butch, Uncle Butch is the most likable characters. Mm. You know, you, you really, they Spending some time with them. Yeah. And he is, he's not, he's trying to lead him along without being, without stressing him out. He's like, you know, he, he's letting... He's, he's letting Homer, he's giving Homer <laughs> enough rope to hang himself, but it, it's not saying anything. Well, you know, I know it's not true, but what, you know. Uh, he's and, not and judging, it, is he? He's kind of guiding. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and he just keeps asking him questions. You know, how, what, what makes, why, why are your parents, how does everybody make you uncomfortable? How does everything, and he ha, and he's delivering these lines while he's, while he's hitting all the chords of, uh, of Lazy River. And he's got to, you know, I mean, from an acting point of view, you know, he's got to get through the scene and he's got to be able to time his, his back and forth with him so that his song is finishing up as he's finishing up yep. his little sermon. 
And I imagine um, exactly the same per take, because I learned this in a set. I did a film with Bruce Jones. I don't think many people know him, but he's very famous in England. He's done some Ken Loach films, part of the kind of British new wave of kind of very oh, okay. reality-based kitchen sink dramas. Mike Lee, I think, is another one. But uh, we did this film, and he kept doing the same thing every take. I was like, God, with this acting, was he doing the same thing every take? Like, terrible. But then I was doing my thing, and I was, then I talked to someone about it. It's like, yeah, so when they edit it, you moron. They can <laughs> add any scene they want, and it's exactly the same. It's like, ah. Oh. So now yeah. I do it exactly the same that's, every time. It just feels like you he was cheating somewhere. Going, why don't you like, have some fun? But it's like, no. It's on film, you idiot. When they yeah. edit it, <laughs> that yeah. head cock, that tick, that arm going up. It's like, is he a robot? But now I understand. Like, this is years yeah. ago. Yeah. Say this, <laughs> say this, put your fist on the table. Yeah, that kind of, yeah. It's, uh, but now you know. See? So you, you learn from a man. But as you said, yeah, having to time out that the piano keys and then the talk and all this and that. Yeah, I, I imagine that would be murderously difficult for someone like me anyway. But uh, yeah. yeah. Although effortless. although thinking about it, the cadence of the song might help. Okay, when I play this chord, you're going to say this. Mm. And when I play this chord, I'm going to say that. And so that might that might help them. And again, singing Harold's praises, uh, having to pull all that off without much, if, if any, acting experience. And without John, imagine if you imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you like, know, what's if, he say? If, Hit what note? I've got to and say my line went. It's like he's new to acting and he doesn't understand music and he's got no hands and he still pulls it off. Hats off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you you know, he's thinking about if he didn't lose his hands and he'd mm. gone back to Boston and there was a Hoagie Boston. Carmichael. If if he'd gone back and and gotten a gotten to, gotten tickets to a Hoagie Carmichael concert, mm. he'd be he'd be on the back wall and Hoagie would be a dot in the you know down there on the stage. Oh yeah, he'd, he'd and he's right here, close. ground and zero. And now he's he's sitting over Hoagie Carmichael's hands while Hoagie Carmichael is playing a Hoagie Carmichael song. It's just like <laughs> holy smokes, <laughs> you know it, it's it's. Uh, it, it's like you know Elton John, and you're 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 trying to talk while he's slowly beating out Rocket Man <laughs> on an upright, and you're just okay. I'll just remember my lines. And this is, I mean, April to August of 1946. He had uh, what four months to get to get 120 days to do all this stuff, mm. uh, soup to nuts for three hours worth of film, which means God knows how many how many hours they were on the set. Mm. or just doing this one scene. Well, 120 days, can I ask? Because most films are, is it 80 days or 90 days, I think, for a modern film? I think now they try and dial it back even more because they pick a release date and they go, right, go make a movie. And that yeah. includes designing it, getting all the special effects together, if it has that element to it, casting everything. 120 days is quite long in my mind for a project. Is that because of the technology was slower because it's on film and this and that? Well, or well, the, just yeah, like I mean, they, they the, cared more about the quality of the product and the release date happened after they'd made the film? Or The, the release date on this was, was in flux because they were going to release it in the spring of 1947. Right. But... Uh, uh, Goldwyn decided, no, we got to release it in December of 1946 because then it will qualify by being shown for one one week in an L.A. theater that uh, it would qualify for the Oscars for okay. 19, the 1946 Oscars. Are they in the same – they're in February, aren't they, the Oscars? Is that correct? Is that the same in, as it was right. then? Right. Yeah, that's when it would be – that was when the nominations would come out. And right. so it would be in April <clears throat> was when they deliver them. So they had to get this done by December. So they finished – they finished shooting in, uh, or they finished principal photography in August of mm. 1946, and it was delivered 
in time for Thanksgiving. So it'd be late November of 1946, they would have they would have had it all released, cut and wow. released. So because I was going to say lot... editing as well, Jim. It's not like on Adobe or whatever. <laughs> like, no, I no, it's Picasso. Sitting, you're, I think you're sitting there with a you're sitting there with a razor blade and a and a bit of acetone to cut That's through. Mental. That's crazy. Yeah. But uh, there, you know, there it all is on screen. And it what's just, the acetone for? Sorry to interrupt you, Jim. Is that to kind of glue acetone, the film back it, together yeah, or have it to a, hold? It's a, yeah, it's a solvent. It, it melts the acid. The, the and the is, tape secures it. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is done on it, at the time. This is when they had switched from cellulose nitrate, which was the original the nitrate film, which was a, a rather sturdy film, to a cellulose acetate, which was right. a plastic film. That was a little bit flimsier, but it was also not flammable. <laughs> right. it, would, it would go up like the Hindenburg if you know you basically had a you had a fire extinguisher sitting around the projector because it would burst into flames. So when they so, re- sorry, carry on. Oh, go ahead. Oh, so what what they did was that that idea of safety film, so, uh, mm. cellulose acetate. The uh, the solvent, the thing that would dissolve the the film was was acetone. Yeah. So all you do is you get out a little, you'd have a little um, glass bottle with a with a brush that was built into the cap, pull it right. out, and you rub it along one edge of the the acetate. I, I'm, of course, I'm doing this with my hands and showing you on on our audio. That <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, you put that you you put the, the theater of the mind, listeners. Just imagine. Yeah. It. So if you put your hands together and pretend they're pieces of film, uh, right where your index fingers meet, that's a uh, that's where the acetone would go, and then you'd you'd hold it there steady for thirty seconds, and then go on to the next cut you were going to literally right. cut in the film. So on these old movies, when they're kind of remastered, all those crackles and hairs and things that you'd see—is that in the gate of the projector, or is that actually on the film? It, it it's usually Both. in the gate, or it may, right. if they're making a print of it, it might be on the gate of the original master that they were recording, and then it sure. just made copies of all that. So they, if it I, were. Where are if the masters kept, you know, for like films like this? Is it in some archive somewhere uh, in Washington yeah. or Hollywood yeah. or things? For, and are uh, they kind of curated and looked after and they checked and go, oh, there's a bit of mold on the best years yeah. of our live negative. We need to kind of get this digitized. And pre- I mean, has this been restored to that level? Uh, yeah, this, this is, uh, there, there, are, there are criterion copies of this where they took, took the original work prints and, and made, the, made the copies from the masters. Right. Uh, a lot of them are kept in... Um, uh, I think the Is a mountain one, somewhere or some uh, vault? they're in a they're actually in a salt mine in um, in Hutchison Kansas I, I've been <laughs> I've actually been there I've, I've actually been to the salt mine it's known as Stratica and it's in uh, it's 650 feet below the ground. Now, is uh, that because of the atmosphere's dry, so there's less? Is that the right. reasoning it's, for it's, it? It's a fixed, it, it, the salt keeps it dry. It's about, uh, I think it's about 35% humidity. Right. And it's a constant 60 degrees or uh, That's fascinating. 15, 15 degrees Celsius. And uh, so it's, yeah, and, and they're all in these like 35 millimeter large tins. They're, they're hexagonal boxes that sit on a shelf in the bottom of a, a salt mine. And uh, they're good, you know, there's... <laughs> All kinds of stuff, and they're probably you know nuclear bomb proof. So long after we're gone, if a nuclear to... bomb did go off and we lost all the film there, because they've been well by criteria and restored and digitized, as long as the digitized versions, <laughs> which I'm sure are rife everywhere now, uh, it doesn't matter. I'd say that obviously with <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> with a heavy heart, but we, yeah, we're going to get a better the... copy than the one I'm looking at, basically. Yeah, that's right. Like a yeah, super it's... slick Blu-ray version, which I imagine would be better than the thing they saw in the forties. Uh, yeah, this was yeah. well. This was this was in the forties. This would be a, yeah, but it's, this is a very fine grain. It's a fine grain black and white film, so mm. the silver shouldn't de- the silver shouldn't decay. No, Co- color is color is a little bit different if you're using single 
single print technicolor the dyes can fade so things turn a little bit magenta or they might turn yellow right um because some of the dyes don't hold up there is however early early um technicolor was done in what they call three strip technicolor there were right. there was a lens that would split it into magenta yellow and uh cyan which i and, think is the old technicolor sign isn't it back in the day i remember it's those three colors i'm, tr I'm trying to think the 70s right. technicolor yeah. symbol yeah, and, and the, what happens is they would make black and white prints shown through a, a filter of a, of a magenta filter, a cyan filter, and a yellow filter. Mm. So they would each have different black and white values depending on what's coming through. So anytime you needed to strike a new print, you'd get out those three prints, run them through three times as long as it was registered correctly, and the color would come back instantly since it was, it was only stored as black and white you know, gray values. Uh, you wouldn't lose the color information. Yes. So... Those old, you know, that's why when you look at things like um, yeah. Gone with the Wind or Wizard of Oz, all of those things, the colors are exactly how they filmed them back then because there's three copies yes. on three different strips of film. Ah. Yeah, all so, the colors you just mentioned, Jim, are all part of every era of the Technicolor logo. Oh, okay. Very yeah. interesting, yeah. Yeah, the subtractive the subtractive colors. Because, uh, yeah, I was going to say, the copy I'm looking at is Blu-ray, and there's a kind of, like, uh, almost on hoagie skin, there's, like, a dance or, like, a shimmer. Is that the film grain? Or is that, yeah, that a process of it just that, being Blu-ray? That, that's the that's the grain of the film, the silver Yeah, the silver I think they, when they try and doll these old films up as far as 4K sometimes, they look a bit too granular and detailed, I think. Yeah, you're just you know you're pulling you're pulling it in, and you're also you're sitting very close to it. I mean, you're yes. not when you watch it in a movie theater, you are not sitting twenty yeah. inches away from your screen, so you get to you do get to look at things. Yeah. But if you look at the uh, the pattern on his shirt, and yep. the, you know it, it's it's all there, so it does store a lot <clears> of information. Unfortunately, you know you're also getting the grain, the noise, the signal noise from the uh, fr from the medium itself. Because I've heard in like is it Japan or China they've got like eight K televisions now and 8k i guess blu-ray formats for these old or new films rather but i think pushing some of the because i watched these aliens 1986 james cameron film the blu-ray version of that now is so crisp and clear i think all the model work looks i think worse because of it yeah I, i've seen that with i have a uh, i have a blu-ray version of uh, uh andromeda strain that was yeah. made in that was made in britain and it was a uh is that it, the it's, arrow it's off, version it's off an original i'm sorry is it the arrow label yes. version i think yes, yes. it's a nice yeah. cover it, but yeah it's beautiful but the problem is it's just i mean the, the film is old and it it's just really highlights more of its flaws and yeah you start seeing useful. the art of yeah the artifacts of the film itself so it's yeah. very as you're watching you see the colors just kind of dancing in front of them yeah um, and it's just the, yeah you know, it's the like a chatter or effervescence on certain surfaces or patterns isn't it and it kind of yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, it just it just really drags you out of it. Where you're, you're thinking, well, I really got it's better resolution, but it's better resolution of the blur. Exactly. So, wow. Yeah. Well, uh, we've got a bit of field from this show, but we are we are actually watching Hoagie Carmichael and talking about this, and I think we we covered an awful lot in this particular minute. And, well, uh, you know what? I, we've done about twenty minutes on Hoagie, so I think talking about the technical yeah. aspects of that film and the history behind, I guess, Sovereign Harold and Hoagie. I think, uh, to be fair, Jim, I think this is the most <laughs> clip centric one we've probably done this far. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's actually we actually we actually uh, uh, follow Ethan this Wrangler Jim trying to get his uh, <laughs> his bolting cult back into the, the, the into the pen which is me uh, he, yeah, he always no. brings it home wrangling cats <laughs> that's the way it is 
Wow. Well, we'll talk. We'll talk more about about Homer and absolutely uh, and stuff tomorrow. But uh, I guess we got to wrap up today and let people get we on have. their merry way. Let's bring it home then. So, if you've enjoyed the show, listeners, thank you. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. If you enjoy me talking, I mean, God, come on, who doesn't? Hmm. Uh, my history is, of course, the Two Minute Terminator podcast, which I did. Uh, Jim, Jim, <laughs> Jim. Uh, where can the lovely listeners find you? And by the way, everyone, how great is Jim? You, Jim, you know, I thought I knew a little bit about everything until I met you. And I was like, oh, God, he, he knows that, you know, like everything about everything. I, I, I only know about things that I, I only know things that do me no good. You know, it's like if I I'm tell the you same. What, but I thought, the, hey, I'm doing pretty good here. Then I met you. I was like, oh, bloody yeah, Nora. What's uh, <laughs> you know, what's, what's the uh, the names of those little plastic things at the end of uh, flugel binders? It's uh, aglets, but oh. you know what? Well, how does the stock market, ch- you know, close next Tuesday? I have no idea. So, yeah. <laughs> by the next show, I'm sure he'll know that, listeners. We'll, we'll find, we'll find out. Wow. Well, um, yeah. If if you like to listen, one of uh, actually, by the time this is out, it'll all be finished up, I believe. But uh, I'm just finishing up the Andromeda stream. Yeah. Uh, where we were, which we were just discussing. Uh, where you can find of, me and Jim. Yes, we're, we're <laughs> chat. We're chatting away on there. If you want to hear us uh, prattle on about. Uh, I think Andromeda I've done all stream. of them except Apollo 13, I think. Yeah. So. Did I not have you on for that? I'm sorry. No, uh, you but, didn't. Uh, <laughs> well, next time. If they come out with Apollo 14, you're in. Don't worry. Oh, you're yes. Shooing. Come on. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the Andromeda strain, uh, we did a minute by minute as the Andromeda Minute. So if you want to go to andromedaminute.com or look for Andromeda Minute on uh, you know, all your favorite podcatchers have it, like Spot, Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Play and all those places. So yeah. uh, check check those out. It's always interesting. And uh, by then I'll be done and I can put it to bed and think it's already in my past. It's already yes. in my review. So and also, great. not to be outdone, Jim, you of course have people, for the most part, involved in these movies as occasional guests on these shows. That's the other mind-bending thing, I think, with you versus some of the other minute shows. <laughs> it's like I'm the, I'm the world's biggest underachiever, even in the world of podcasting, by God. But I was going to say, if... Uh... <laughs> If you do enjoy the show, and uh, hey, if this is your favorite film, that's great. If it's not, who cares? There's 180 films out there that uh, the Movies by Minutes teams uh, have all covered. So, I, you know what? Having said that, Jim, even if a film's not your cup of tea, I think listening to finding out some of the things, as I've done uh, working with you on this, is uh, quite fascinating. I mean, some of the ones I've listened to have not been my favorite film. And I've always found them quite entertaining anyway, as basically a uh, someone holding your hand and walking you through filmland and, and trivia on absolutely anything. Yeah, so. I, I agree. It's, it's it's even if you don't like a movie and you're listening, you're listening to a, uh, a show. Yeah. I mean, I'm listening to as as we're speaking, they're uh, they're doing uh, this on the Star Wars minute. They're talking about uh, the the sequels, you know, the Disney sequels. Yeah. And I, I was not a big fan of uh, um the last or the podcast the last is better than the movies basically yeah yeah exactly i mean i i was i did not enjoy the last uh the last jedi until i listened to uh, uh pete the retailer and alex robinson go mm. go over it minute by minute and say okay i could see where this is so yeah if you if you have a movie that you don't like and you want to like uh, i'd say go go find it it's, it's out there at moviesbyminutes.com somewhere something will uh will attach to you and you'll you'll enjoy it eventually. Yeah. Uh, and if and listen, if you don't see your movie, if you don't see your favorite movie, this is an ideal opportunity for you to get into podcasting. Uh, the movies by minutes format is easy, or, or unless you know, as, as long as, if you think 
watching the same thing for 129 times is easy. But you can, you know, if you really love a movie, if you want to, if and you want to tell other people what you think of the movie, or if you want to talk to people who are in the movie, or if you want to talk about topics that are presented by your movie. Movies by Minutes is a great format to try out. It's a, it's a good starter set. But check us out. We're always uh, out there. Look for Movies by Minutes on uh, Facebook. There's a Movies by Minutes listeners group that uh, you can get a lot of information on how to start your own podcast and get get involved in things like this. And maybe, you know, you could be in the future joining one of us on these group uh, these group projects. I don't. Somebody else is going to be doing it. I don't think I'll be doing it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he says that in. and he drafts it. Not anyone else. He drafts himself back into service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I was going to say, listen, if you want to discuss any of the things on this show or uh, anything me and Jim have said, uh, if you go to Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Life Listeners Cafe on Facebook, you'll find us there. And on Twitter, uh, you can discuss or ask uh, me, Jim, or any of the other Minute hosts questions about this film, uh, this show, or some of the ones we've actually worked on. Anyway, there's always like a catch-all and a way through uh, to contact us. Uh, you can also go to bestminutes.com for this particular show. and uh, the, the Best Minutes. The, the Best, best Minutes. minutes. There we, go. See, there we go. See, I, I, Jim doing the outro was so much better. Do you not think? I've cocked it up <laughs> nine no, no, times out of ten. Eleven times out of ten. You're doing fine. You're doing fine. But we will see you, my darlings, uh, tomorrow, which I believe for, is Friday. Our and, final episode together. Oh, my I gosh. Know. Well, Until I'm sure be, something goes more, wrong yeah. and we're, we're called back in like the <laughs> SAS Navy SEAL crack team, the, the double assassin team of Ethan and Jim to come in and, uh, you know, clear up a few and frag a few of the uh, remaining episodes <laughs> <laughs> but yeah uh, happy listening we love you guys and uh, join us tomorrow for my final episode but not the show jim thank no, you keep keep going thank <laughs> you okay we'll see you all friday bye Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.